This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode 133. I'm James L. Rupart, but of course, please call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. I'm Karen Ball. And in this episode, as you probably just figured out, we're going to talk <laughs> to one of my favorite people in the universe, Karen Ball, about how to find an exceptional editor and how to work with an exceptional editor. But first, before we dive into that, we want to give you guys a quick announcement about our current contest. Now, if you missed this, we're giving away something very cool. You know that because we talk about it a lot, Thomas and I, you know that we think email is the most powerful way to sell books. But the question is, what should those emails say? If we create a, if you want to create a drip campaign, what should you put in those drip campaigns? Well, we're going to show you how by working with one of you. Yes, one lucky listener will win a drip campaign written for them by Thomas and myself. And not only that, but all of our listeners will get these emails, which will be promoting your book. So you and your book will be the template we use in the future. If you want to win this, all you have to do is head to novelmarketing.com and look for the third button over at the top that says contest, click on that, enter, and you are in. So with that out of the way, let's talk about editing and let's talk about Karen Ball. Karen and I first met back in 2007 and we've really connected over our mutual love of this TV show called Alias Smith and Jones. <laughs> do you remember that, Karen? I do. I oh do. my gosh. And that's not dating us or anything. I mean, it's not. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not at all. Not at all. I was we weren't so born yet when love. that show came on. I was so in love with one of the characters. The actor's name was Peter Duell, and it just and so Jim sent me the entire series, which has made him one of my totally favorite people in the universe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it it is a great series. So if you've never heard of that show, you should check it out. But yeah, since then Karen and I have become dear friends, and she was actually the executive editor on my first three novels. And so I've had a chance to get to know Karen as a friend, but I've also gotten a chance to know her as an editor. And she is brilliant in the industry. She's she's somewhat legendary. Plug your, <laughs> plug your ears, Karen. Plug your ears. Um, but she has run the editorial departments at some of the world's leading publishers. So she really does know her stuff. And she's playful. She's smart. She's a straight shooter, which I love about her. And she just has a massive amount of wisdom. And she and uh, her friend Aaron have written a book, brand new, called Finding and Working with an Editor, Everything You Need to Know for a Nearly Nearly. Pain Nearly <laughs> pain-free edit. So, Karen, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you, Jim and Thomas. It's so fun to be here. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, it should be fun because Thomas and I often say um, editing and writing a great novel is the most important part of marketing because essentially it's a 400-page or a 300-page brochure, marketing brochure, your novels are, for your next book. And that's why we think uh, great editing is, is just so critical. So great to have you here. So if you don't mind, let's just dive in. The first question that we want to just seems like a very basic question, but why is it important to have an exceptional editor? Well, you know, it's interesting. I get this question all the time uh, from writers and especially those who are on the indie front. And well, I don't really need an editor. And I just look at them and I say, listen, I need an editor. I'm a writer. I have published books. I would never do it without an editor. I'm like one of the best editors out there. 
but I don't edit my own work. You can't. You don't see the problems. You don't see the holes. You're so married to your story and so engaged with the characters, and you know so much about them that's not on the page. You have too much knowledge and information about the characters, the plot, and all of that to see the holes. You need a new set of eyes to go over your manuscript, and it needs to be somebody who understands things like structure and plot and character development. It can't be your old English teacher. That ain't going to fly. <laughs> but my old English teacher's so cheap, and she knows everything there is about writing. And your edit will be worth what you pay for it. So there you go. <laughs> and, and you know, guys, um, editing fiction and editing nonfiction, those are two very different things. Now, you may find an editor who can do both. I do both. But, but it's like going into a completely different mindset when I edit fiction as opposed to when I edit nonfiction. And you have to make sure that you find an editor who understands what you're writing. And who understands the art of persuasion and the science of persuasion. Because for nonfiction, it's not just about crafting good prose. It's about taking people from one way of thinking to another way of thinking. And that is a science, right? Like the ancient Greeks had a lot to say about persuasion. Aristotle wrote a whole book about it. And you want an editor who actually understands how to persuade people. Uh, And if they don't know how to do that, you're going to end up with a subpar nonfiction book. Absolutely. And they need to understand how to organize in order to follow the flow of persuasion. There are so many books that I've worked on where it was like, instead of following the line of logic, one, two, three, or ABC, it was A-Z-Q-W. And, and you look at it and you, you have to tell them, listen, this is going to confuse your readers. You need to give them this stuff first, and then that leads into this, and then that, there needs to be a cohesive thread as you're going through. Okay, so Karen, our our audience is, the majority of them are actually um, indie uh, published authors or aspiring indie authors. And so what you're talking about is really applicable to them because they are looking for... um, they're looking for people like you to help them. What are some of the mistakes that you see time and time again when an indie author goes, okay, I need a, I need a freelance editor like Karen, and then they do these things that are not going to help them out? Well, one of the first mistakes that I see is exactly what Thomas said, where they go to people who they think understand writing, understand English, but these people don't necessarily understand the art of putting a book together. And because they're less expensive, the one place you should never scrimp, and I don't say this because I'm an editor and I want people to hire me, but the one place you should not scrimp is in hiring an editor. You need someone who knows what they're doing, who has a passion for what they're doing, and who understands that being an editor is serving the writer. One of the other mistakes that I find is that they go with somebody because there's prestige with this particular editor, but the editor doesn't have a servant's heart. And so they come in and it's like they have this attitude of, well, I could write a book better than this. I actually encountered someone, um, one of the editors like that when I was at Tyndale. Then he came in and he looked at me and he said, I've been working on this manuscript and I could write a book so much better than this person. And I just looked at him and I said, then shut up and do it. And he said, what? I said, don't come in here and tell me you can write a book better. Get out there, do the work, put your blood on the page. And after you've done that, come back and tell me how you can do so much better than this person who's done the work. So Would you know what I was saying about Karen being a straight shooter? There it is. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it's, uh, they just, they make a mistake in trying to scrimp on looking for an editor, and that is not the place to do it. The other place, by the way, not to scrimp is on the cover design. 
those are the two places. If you're only going to spend money in two places, those are the two things to spend your money on. Absolutely. Okay, so Karen, we know we have to find an exceptional letter, but how how do you do that? You know, how do you find them? Well, there are a couple Where's ways. Where's the best you- place? <laughs> there are a couple ways that you can do it. First of all, you can buy our book because it gives <laughs> you the places to go. Um, there are several networks of editors where the editors have already been vetted. And um, I will find the information on that and send it to you for the show notes because I don't have it right here at hand. You can also, if you're part of a group like ACFW, the American Christian Fiction Writers, or if you're part of any writers group, ask the writers, what editors have you worked with that you really enjoyed working with what did you like about them what didn't you like about them do your due diligence get out there and do some research don't just go online and type in freelance editor and then take your pick (laughs) from all of those websites because you can never tell so many people so many people hang up an editor shingle and say i'm here i can make your book better and they haven't got a clue and so you're sending your money to someone who's just looking for a way to make money They're not looking for a way to help you. Yeah, another thing to do is to uh, ask them for a list of books that they've edited in the past. And then, and so many authors skip this step, reach out to the authors of those books and ask them if they had a good experience. (laughs) Because in my experience, people either love or hate their editors. People are almost never ambivalent about their editors. So like the the guy who edited uh, my book, Courtship in Crisis actually had a team of editors, and I recommend them all the time. Like one of them reached out to me a couple days ago. I was like, "Hey, can you write a blurb for my website?" I wrote him a blurb that moment. I dropped everything I was doing and wrote him a blurb because I'm like, "This guy totally transformed my book," and I was very happy to do that. Uh, Whereas other people have editors, and that just the thought of that (laughs) editor like triggers the post-traumatic stress events in their life, and like they can't speak for five minutes. It's like so traumatic, and you don't want that kind of editor, even if they edited a very successful book. It's so funny. I have people who will come and sit down to have a conversation with me and it starts out nice and calm. So I had this editor and she or he did this thing that drove me crazy and I don't understand what they thought they were doing. And the next thing I know, they're going <laughs> off on this rampage and I'm, I'm thinking, well, had you ever worked with them before? And they're like, no. Did you check with other clients that they'd worked with? No. Okay, well, you have learned, number one, you need to do your due diligence before you hire somebody. Number two, mark that one down as somebody you will never hire again. <laughs> it's, and and understand, understand, too, that a lot of it is about a personality mesh. That editor that drove you nuts, another client may absolutely love. Sometimes you just don't work well together. That's just a fact of life. And so you can speak your piece, but be careful. It's a small small industry. Be careful you don't trash somebody with your emotions rather than simply saying the facts. I didn't feel that this editor really understood my book and the message of my book and what I was trying to do. That kind of thing is perfectly fine. You have every right to say that, but you don't have a right to say this guy came in and just tried to take over my book and acted like he thought I was an idiot. Yeah, that's such a good it's such a good point, Karen. I I just want to I just want to emphasize what you said and that is Sometimes it can simply be personality. You, you get an editor that's extremely analytical, working with an author who is extremely expressive. That's toxic styles, and it's just not going to work. And they might work wonderfully for somebody else, but not for you. So it seems like a lot of work to go to before you find the editor. It's, <laughs> it's worth the work. 
I've, I've only had that happen once, and that's because I'm all about the relationship. I'm about serving the author, and I'm, you know, Steve Lobby, when I was working with him as an agent, he would say to me, Karen, I'm not puppies and kittens. You are 100% puppies and kittens. <laughs> I, I just am. I love writing. I love words. I love writers. And, and so I come in, and it's about being their advocate and their champion and all those kinds of things. And I had one person, a man, that I was working with, and he finally said to me, I really don't need you to email email me encouragement. Just give me the facts. Let me rewrite my manuscript. Do your wow. job and we'll be fine. <laughs> All right. So we, we talked about uh, how to find an editor. Now I'd like to talk about how to get the most out of that editor. But first we need to talk about one of our featured patrons. So people uh, back us on patreon.com and we like to feature one of those patrons uh, each week. So Jim, tell us about today's featured patron. So today's featured patron is, uh, the, the book is by C.L.R. Peterson, and the name of the book is, help me out with the pronunciation here, Thomas, Lucia's Renaissance? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let us just give you a quick description of this book um, to whet your appetite. Heresy is fatal in late Renaissance Italy, so only a suicidal zealot would so much as whisper the name of Martin Luther. But after Luther's ideas ignite a young girl's faith, she must choose abandon her beliefs, or risk her life in the turbulent world of late 16th century Italy. Okay, so Amazing. you can find a link to this. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, and you can find a link to this book in the show notes and on novelmarketing.com. So thank you to C.L.R. Peterson for uh, supporting us, and we encourage you to check out the book. All right. So Karen, uh, what advice do you have for authors who are working with the editor? How do they get the most out of that edit? Once you find an editor that, that you hire and you're ready to work with, I always encourage that the best first step is to have a conversation. If you haven't done that already in the vetting process, have a conversation with them about who you are, how you work, about your style, about what you want from them. Lay down the parameters. Remember, the editor is working for you. It's, it's not about being arrogant, but it's simply about saying, this is for me as a writer. This is what will work best for me. If you tell them whether you want them to actually write in the text of your book to suggest ways to reword things, or if you'd rather they did it all in comments or in a footnote so that it's not in the body text. So you need to outline for the editor what they need to do in order to work best with you. Now, obviously, they may say to you, well, I find that writing suggestions in the text works better, but you have every right to say to them, I understand that, but really for me, you're going to need to do this. Because when you have that conversation and when you lay everything out for them, you may discover that it's not going to be the best working relationship. And at that point, you can both walk away with no hard feelings. But if it's still going to work out well, what you have done is you have given the editor parameters, which actually gives them a great deal of freedom. They can work without being worrisome. And we all worry. Editors all worry when we send our edits back to the authors that they're going to have a meltdown, that they're going to decide they hate us, that we're going to get death threats. It's just, it's, it's, 
we're tense and worried about it as well because we want to make sure that we work with authors the best way. Something else that you can do is you ask them to do the edit that they do on the first chapter and to send it to you. And you can go through it. I do this with every single book I edit. I edit the first chapter and I send it to the author and I say, this is the way that I normally edit. Let me know if anything bothers you, if there's anything you want me to do different, because I want the edit process to be as enjoyable as possible. Now, you notice I didn't just say I want it to be enjoyable because I'm not an idiot. (laughs) Even though I work in fiction, I'm not an idiot. So I I know that it's hard to be edited, but I want it to be as pain-free as possible. So Karen, here's a question I've been curious about, and I've never asked any of my editors this for their opinion. But do you think it's important for an editor to be uh, in love with a particular genre. In other words, do you, if, if, if you're doing romance, do you want an editor that loves romance? Or if you're doing Amish, do they have to love Amish? How important is that for them to like the genre that you're working in? Well, there's a difference between liking and loving. I think that it's important for them to have respect for the genre. Um, you don't want to work with an editor who thinks that romance writing is stupid, um, but they need to have respect for the genre and an understanding of the genre. Now, it's an added bonus if they love the genre, but that's not a necessity. It's it's great when you work with somebody who has a passion for the genre that you're working on, but more than anything else, you want them to have a passion for your story, for the structure of your story, for your character development. Um, So they have to understand the requirements of each genre. And and there are different requirements for the different genres um, so that they can edit knowledgeably. But no, I don't think they have to be in love with it. You have these folks that are maybe being edited for the first time. They're, They're going to indie for the first time. Are there some common mistakes that you see authors make again and again and again that you would love to just say, okay, these five things, guys, don't do this. It'll make life easier for you. (laughs) Yeah. So what I do is I make a list for my writers. If I do a, a macro or substantive edit, which is the overview edit where you pinpoint weaknesses, in there I will say, okay, these are the main things that you need to watch out for. These are the phrases you need to watch out for. My editor, Julie Schwarzberg, who has edited you as well, Jim, she sent me a list of words that I use too much. And I realized if people really nodded, grinned, um, laughed, and smiled as much as I had my characters doing those things, <laughs> they'd be bobbleheads in the back of a car. So. You know, that's one of the things that that's one of the ways that editors can serve a writer is to just make a list for them. These are the things that you need to watch for. And I it's been great because what I find is that um, my authors, if I work with them on subsequent books, I'll send one gal I sent a. I, I'm sorry, my husband is texting me and that distracted me. Um, a gal sent me a manuscript and I went through it and I sent her her revision letter and she sent me an email back and she goes, oh, you didn't say anything about show versus tell. I finally accomplished beating show versus tell. So, you know, it's as much fun for the writer as it is for the editor when you have a good relationship. Okay, speaking of good relationship, how can an, how can an author become their um, editor's favorite client? Well, it's it's really not as hard as you may think. It's that they're they have a teachable heart. That they go into this understanding that what they're hiring this person to do is to point out their weaknesses. Okay, <laughs> I mean, oh, wow, yeah. 
that's no fun when somebody points out your weaknesses. And and they need to go into it with an understanding that the editor isn't saying you're wrong or you're stupid or you're a hack. What they're saying is these are the areas where you need to do some work. They are partnering with you in this. They're not criticizing you. They are simply coming in and trying to draw the best writing possible out of you. So go into it with a teachable heart. Be willing to listen to what they say. Now, okay, if you need to vent, if you need to scream and beat your head, give yourself like an hour to do that. <laughs> you know, just cut loose. Don't do any of that with the editor. Just give yourself the freedom to do that in your prayer closet or wherever you need to do it. Vent, get it out of your system. Talk to someone. Tell them how upset you are because someone just told you that your baby was ugly. And that's okay to react badly to that for a short period of time, but then go back, read what they have sent you, figure out what resonates and what you can see is right in what they said, and then get to work and fix it. So, you know, just have a teachable heart and also come in and understand that what the editor is doing is bringing a very strong set of skills and understandings to the table. However, it's your book. The editor is not there to tell you what you have to do. The editor is there to give you suggestions and to encourage you to consider something. But if you, in your heart of hearts, feel as though that will not be right for your book, you have the right to say, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think I want to do that. Well, that's that's a really important point. I think people need to... to um dwell on what you said there for a minute, because I remember with you, Karen, I remember with Julie Schwarzberg and my other editors have all said, Jim, these are just ideas. I think this would work and work, but ultimately it's your book. And I was like, really? And, and that was, it would, that was really refreshing because I, you might agree with a lot of it. You might agree with 90% of it, but there's some things where you just go, wow, no, this really feels in my gut. I need to keep this or, or, or this the same, um, to have that permission, I think is really important especially when you're being edited the first time. Oh, yeah. As an illustration of that, um, I edited, I don't know if you've heard of Sharon Ewell Foster. She wrote a, an amazing book called Passing by Samaria. And I acquired that book um, at Multnomah. And I think it was Multnomah. Anyway, I acquired that book at one of the publishers. And when I, I acquired it based on the strength of a chapter that I saw at a writer's conference. It just had this amazing lyrical tone to it. She came in and handed it to me and said, I've written you a romance. And I started reading it and I said, romance? This is to kill a mockingbird. And Nick Harrison, who was with Harvest House at the time, was sitting at another table. And he heard me say, this is to kill a mockingbird. And he grabbed his chair and he came over and sat at my table. What's to kill a mockingbird? <laughs> <laughs> but when I got that full manuscript, I just, I had this falling sensation in the gut because it wasn't like anything I'd ever worked on before. And it, and it went against everything that I felt made strong fiction. And so I thought, oh, I've made this terrible mistake. So I went through and I edited the first couple chapters and sent them to her and said, you know, show me anything that is going wrong. And I hope you're enjoying the editing process. And she sends back a letter says, no, I'm not enjoying it. I'm not enjoying it at all because you are trying to change my book. Why are you trying to take my voice out of my book? That was a really hard pill for me to swallow because everyone else that I'd ever worked with told me what a genius I was. And then here comes this gal who she's a first time writer 
So I was the one who then had to scream and beat my head and deal with, you know, my ego being injured. And, and I came back and I looked at it and I prayed about it. And I finally wrote her and I said, this is your book. If that's the way you want the book to be, then we will stay with that. Um, and, and it became a bestseller because her voice was so different and so unique and so powerful. And so she was right. She was absolutely right. And that was a good lesson for me as an editor to say, and that's why in all of my revision letters, all of my editing, I say the same thing. These are my suggestions, but it's your book. You do what you think is right. I love that. Hey, we're going to be back in just a second uh, with some final thoughts and comments from Karen. But first, Thomas, I think someone is sponsoring the podcast. Do you want to? Do you want to tell folks about that? That's right. This uh, podcast is brought to you by listeners like you, or specifically listeners who've chosen to patronize the show or become patrons of the Novel Marketing Podcast. And in addition to keeping us on the air, our patrons receive an exclusive monthly Q and A episode, uh, which we just uh, recorded the first one. It's uh, very fun. I'm really excited uh, to release that to our patrons. Uh, you get a special monthly bundle episode. So you get two additional episodes every month. You get a free copy of one of Jim's novels, and you get 25% off of the plugins like my book uh, table and 50% off the five-year plan to becoming a best-selling author. So we have hundreds of dollars of discounts and a lot of bonus material for our patrons, and it's just $5 a month. So if you would be willing to help out the podcast, we will give you a lot of things to say thank you, uh, as well as a deep heartfelt thank you from Jim and myself. We really appreciate those of you who help keep us on the air. So Karen, uh, once more, let's just make sure people know uh, the your book, Finding and Working with an Editor, everything you need to know for a nearly pain-free edit, and where to, where's the best place for, and we'll have links in the show notes, but if, if people are listening, they go, I got to have it right now. Where do people go to grab that, a copy of that book? You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on any of the online uh, distribution for books, but we're definitely on Amazon. Okay. And the other thing I want to talk about just real quick, Karen, is you are a heart person, right? You've, you've definitely, you have all this wisdom. Um, but also at your core, you would rather help somebody with their inner life even more than you would with their, their, their novel. And so you and your friend Aaron have created this podcast, Writing from the Deep. You want to tell us just a little bit about that and how people can subscribe to your podcast? Absolutely. Um, the podcast is called writefromthedeep.com, and it's about writing from those difficult places as well as sinking deeper into God as the foundation for our hearts in doing this task that he's given us. I, I just wonder sometimes if people realize how important their heart is and having it grounded in faith so that they can deal with those deep, difficult times, how important that is to them as writers. And so Aaron and I, in a conversation, realized that we both had a heart for ministering to and encouraging and uplifting and equipping writers. And we started this podcast, which has now this first co-written book, The uh, Finding and Working with an Editor that just released. And what we do in those podcasts is we address the issues that writers face and we give them scripture for foundational understandings. And we have a lot of guests on. Um, we've had you, Jim, and we're having Terry Blackstock in a couple of weeks. We've had all kinds of writers who come in and talk about their own difficulties and how God helped them to deal with them. Or they talk about, Robin Lee Hatcher came on and talked about Bible journaling and how that has revolutionized her foundational um, heart for the writing tasks that she's doing. So our whole goal is to minister. Um, we don't 
monetize the website because it's about helping. And so that's, that's what we spend a lot of our time doing. Ah, love it, Karen, and love having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, we got to have you back again at some point. <laughs> <laughs> we would love to do that. Any other questions uh, from you, Thomas, before we sign off? No, I think that's it. Uh, Karen, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. And if you want to check out uh, Karen's podcast or book, well, again, we'll have links in the show notes. And oh, quick note on the show notes. Those are now available on your podcast app. So if you're listening to us on your smartphone, if you just swipe uh, to the side or swipe up and down, depending on what app you're using, you'll be able to see all of the notes from this show as well as links to what we talk about. Uh, so it's we've made it a lot easier uh, when we talk about a website or a resource. You can just tap with your finger to go straight to that resource, which is really nice. You've been listening to James L. Rubart, the amazing Karen Ball, and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing, offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.